Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Welcome those of you joining us not just here in the sanctuary, but also in Auditorium 2. Maybe you're watching online or by way of television or the podcast. So glad that you are with us today. Any, I don't know, do people still do this or not? Anybody ever been to a family reunion? Do people still have family reunions? I can remember being a kid. We used to go, my mom had kind of a big family, and so we would all rent out this pavilion at the fire station down at the park, you know? And we would, we would cook out and everybody would bring a dish and people, family kind of scattered all over and they'd come in for that. And as a kid, I just always remember it was cool. You get to hang out with some of your cousins. And then we started inviting like the next layer of cousins, like the family that we didn't know was family. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they started coming and they were cool. And we were like, this is all, we love our family and our family's family. And we would all be together and it was cool. And then one day we got, a, we got an invitation to a family reunion for a different branch of the family. And when I say different, <laughs> I mean they were different. <laughs> and I remember we went to this family reunion, didn't really know these people. We were there for a little while and then we said, we think it's time to leave. We got out of there as soon as we could because they were weird. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that's our family. Anybody been to those reunions? <laughs> when you get to Matthew chapter one, you get, in a certain sense, Jesus' family reunion. Because what you get is, is what we refer to in Matthew chapter one as a genealogy. Matthew chapter one, verse one, Matthew just starts this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He starts with the genealogy because he wants to prove that Jesus is not just some guy. He was the answer to the promise God gave to his friend Abraham. And he is the Messiah, the one that God promised to David in what is referred to as the Davidic covenant. So this listing of names is hugely important. And I wanna take a look for the time we have together today at one little segment of that genealogy, one little sliver, if you will. There are names we've already looked at, some we've already talked about. Matthew chapter one, starting with verse five, says that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. This, this little segment, maybe more than any other in Jesus' genealogy, reaches into some really cool depths of the Old Testament. The names that are there are ones that we read about, actually repeatedly in Scripture. Boaz, and Rahab, and, and Ruth, and Jesse. And of course, the, the one that actually gets a title, King David, imagine with me if you would. Now, like this isn't in the Bible, but let's just let's just kind of think about it for a moment. Imagine that I could get a pass, and and I could go to heaven for a field trip, and I got there for the day, and it just happened to be the day that was the family reunion for the people in this story. And I walk over to a picnic table because they had it at the the heavenly pavilion at the heavenly fire station, right? And I walk over to the table, and there's this, this heavenly picnic table, and I walk over, and at this family reunion, just sitting around, telling stories, chatting it up, you, you got Rahab and Boaz, and Ruth's there, and Jesse, and, and David, they're all there. And I walk over, and I realize, this is my chance. Like, the, the, the heroes of the Old Testament, I, I can ask them a question. And the question that I think would cross my mind if I was with this crew because when you read that, that list, you see a list of people who passed on blessing from generation to generation to generation. N nine years as a kid's pastor, kind of a long time now as lead pastor. And can I tell you one of the biggest concerns that people come to pastors with? Pastor, what do I do with my kids? How, how do I love my grandkids? It's actually intensifying as our culture changes. One of the greatest concerns that I hear from people is how do we help the next generation to love Jesus? Because we want to pass on blessing from one generation to another. And if anybody did it, that crew did. So, so if, I could, if I could go over and, and get a plate of, of some heavenly potluck and then walk over and get a seat at that picnic table, you know what I think I'd ask them? How'd you do it? 
I'm gonna have to go back to Toledo. I'm gonna have to go back to Calvary. And I wanna help people with one of the toughest areas in their lives. You got any parenting advice for me? How does it happen? How do you pass on blessing from one generation to another? I wanna look at the lives of these people today. And this, this story I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible. Is that okay? But I wanna show you six ways to bless your family for generations. As we look at the lives of these people in this story, I wanna look at six ways to bless your family for generations. How do you pass on a blessing from one generation to another? Now look, unapologetically, I'll tell you that, that I know that this sermon might not hit the bullseye for everybody. Like, like I've written it, I've thought about it specifically in mind for those of you who are parents or grandparents in this season of your life. Maybe you're, you're hoping to be a parent someday. Maybe you're a grandparent who has grandkids who are parents. You're somewhere in that. Parents, the, the things we're gonna look at today, if, if you have little kids still under your roof, I think can be transformative. Grandparents, if you're trying to speak into the life of middle schoolers and high schoolers, I think there's principles here. But look, if you don't, if you don't fall into that range today, please do not check out because the biblical principles we're gonna look at apply to everyone. I, I just wanna see if God can't whisper to the hearts of some of us who really need to hear it in this season today to help us to find six ways to bless your family for generations. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna walk over to that picnic table and I'm gonna ask my question and I'm gonna throw it out there. Do you ever ask a question and then there's that awkward silence where no one responds? I have learned to live with awkward silence. Awkward is my middle name. And so I'd say, hey, anybody got any parenting tips? I think it'd get real quiet for a moment. And then Rahab would say, I'll, I'll go first. And she would say, if I, if I had any advice to give you about blessing generations, it'd be this, number one, change the story. Number one, change the story. Have you, ever, have you ever heard the story of Rahab? If you were with us Mother's Day, we talked about it just a little bit. Every time Rahab's story is in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, every time we see her name, she's referred to by her last name as well, Rahab the prostitute. She's not just an outsider. Like, like the, the way we're introduced to her story is in Joshua chapter two, Joshua is leading God's people, the children of Israel. They're going into the promised land, this land that God said he would give to them. To get there, they're gonna have to go through a whole series of obstacles to get there. If you've never read the book of Joshua, it's, I think it's one of the most fun books in the Bible to read. And, and the first obstacle is the city of Jericho. It's this fortified city, and they've gotta get through this wall. So Joshua sends out some spies in Joshua chapter two, and where they find themselves are, is in the house of Rahab. Her, her last name is the prostitute. And they get there, and what Rahab does is she hides the spies from the people in her town because she decides, I'm, I'm gonna believe in this God instead of staying where I am. I see that there is hope and life and freedom. If I'll put my faith, faith, faith's the key word that we get in the book of James, the book of Hebrews, that she was a woman who put her faith into action when she put her faith in God. And it changed her story. When the whole city of Jericho was destroyed, we read this instead, Joshua chapter six, verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her whole family and all who belonged to her. She was an outsider, she was one of the enemies, she had a pretty sketchy past. But they spared her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies into Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. What does that say? Rahab's story was changed. She went from a story of outsider enemy and sin to a story of one of God's beloved people who had had her life changed when she put her faith in God. And look, for so many of us, we're, we're quick to kind of go, well, my family has this kind of background so I'll always be like that. Or my grandpa's story and my dad's story, my grandma's story, my, my mom's story. We have this generational story, and if that's the story, then that'll probably be my story too. I, I had a friend that used to always, he, he'd get angry about things, and when he would, he'd say, I can't help it. My dad was angry. My grandpa was angry. It's just because we're German. No offense to the Germans. But this Irishman would go, I don't get it. I don't think it's because you're German. I think it's because you gotta get a hold of yourself, buddy. 
Like don't, don't blame today on yesterday. Now look, don't get me wrong, there are, there are personality traits. I, I even think there are some genetic tendencies that go from generation to generation. But just because it was what defined one generation, even just because it was what defined your past, doesn't mean it has to define tomorrow, true? Look, you are not cursed to be what those who came before you were. Every so often I'll hear people talk about a generational curse that you're cursed because this is what generations before you were. And I have a hard time with that because when I read the Bible, I read that Jesus breaks every curse and that he sets us free. We won't take the time to read it, but there's this powerful passage in Exodus chapter 20 that says when you hate God, it affects your family for three or four generations. We'll actually unpack that here in a few weeks. That's kind of frightening, isn't it? That if you, if you push God away, it will affect your great, 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 great grandchildren. And then he says, but if you love God, it will send blessing to them for a thousand generations. So look, we, we all have a story somewhere. And the first piece of advice that I would give you as a parent is you change the story if it's one that you don't want to stick with. If it's one that you think God has something better. Jesus can break down walls to give you freedom for the future. It's what he did for Rahab, and it's what he can do for you. I, I get an inside look at people's families sometimes because I'm with them at weddings and funerals. And if you ever want to see what a family's really like, they show up at weddings and funerals, do they not? Did a funeral not too long ago. And usually when I'm conducting a funeral, I like it if a family member will get up and talk about the deceased, because they know them better than I do. Usually there's insight that they bring, but it's rare that when that eulogy portion comes, that if someone passes away, that their spouse will be one of the ones to get up and speak. They usually emotionally, it's tough. But this one, she, she said, no, I, I wanna say something. And I stood off to the side, and as I did, she walked over to the podium, and with a sense of class and dignity and courage, like honestly, this guy's rarely seen. She told their story. She told the story of how their lives were just kind of messed up. Things weren't right and there was no hope. And it was a tough thing until she found Jesus. And then she changed her story. And when her story changed, his story changed. And now their whole family story has changed. And I stood over there. And, I, and I've known these people 20 years. But I never heard the story quite like that before. And I stood over there and I said to myself, Jesus, help me never to forget how you can change a life. How you can make a difference. And you don't have to be in a place where you say, well, this is just what we're doomed to be. It's just going to be like this. Even if you are looking at the finish line of your life and you say, do you know how much damage I've already done? God says, yeah, but give me a chance to change the story. And just because you weren't perfect for a couple of generations doesn't mean you can't impact future generations. So I sit down to have a little bit of that heavenly macaroni and cheese. And Rahab says, if I had any pointers, I think I'd start here. Change the story. That's when Boaz would chime in. He'd say, thanks, Mom. Because you changed the story, which made all the difference for me. Because if I learned anything from my folks and if I had anything to offer, now again, this isn't in the Bible. You know that, right? <laughs> but in my mind, if I was sitting there, I think Boaz would say, number two, you love with extravagant sacrifice. Number two, you love with extravagant sacrifice. I don't have time to read to you the book of Ruth today, but when you have time and you want a good love story, go read those four chapters. We, we preached through them about four years ago. And when you read it, if you don't understand it the first time, get a, get a good tool like, like the Fire Bible or some reference tool that'll help you understand the cultural details of what's going on in that story. It is this amazing story of how God creates this loving relationship between a man named Boaz and an outcast outsider who has lost everything named Ruth. And as I looked at it again, I said to myself, if I can learn anything from Boaz, it's to love with extravagant sacrifice. Because that's what he does in this story. And if there's anything that you're called to do, parent, grandparent, 
is to love your family with extravagant sacrifice. Let me give you just two examples. One is this, love your spouse sacrificially. I wanna challenge you to love your spouse sacrificially because that is what Boaz does for Ruth. He, he lays it all on the line to express love to her. Oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, marriage is 50-50. <laughs> marriage is 50-50 and that's a lie. I know this isn't good math, but marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. That's, that's how marriage works. You can't just give half of yourself and hope that it works out. You have to give all of yourself to that other person and trust in God's model that that other person will give all of themselves to you, and that's when marriage works. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter six. He uses some, some verses that we like to use sometimes. He, he says in Ephesians chapter six, he says, Woman, you submit to your husbands. We like that one. Woman, submit to your husbands. Men, can I get an amen? No, don't, don't, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. don't. That verse last week about, baby, you're beautiful, go back to that one, not this one. What's Paul say? Woman, submit to your husband. Do you know what he says a few verses later? He says, husband, die for your wives just like Christ did for the church, you'd be willing to put it on the line for her. Don't just submit, you give 100%. See, that, that passage says if marriage is gonna work, it's 100 and it's 100. And that's what it takes. So guys, right now, if you're sitting next to your wife, look at her and go, baby, I'd die for you. Right now, just say it. <laughs> Chad, that's, Chad, that's cute but you don't know what they're like. <laughs> Do you know who I'm married to? I mean, it ain't no honeymoon anymore, buddy. Do you know what it's like to be married to her <laughs> or to him? This is all cute, nice preaching. You sure? Someday, all of us you can take this one to the heavenly bank. All of us are gonna stand before Jesus. And those of us that are married, when we do, I'm almost 100% certain he is not, Jesus is not gonna look at you and go, wow, she was a doozy, wasn't she? <laughs> He's not gonna look at you and go, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> wow. No, he's not gonna say, what kind of spouse did you have? He's gonna look at you and go, what kind of spouse were you? See, on judgment day, you're not gonna answer to your spouse, you're gonna answer to Jesus. And he's gonna ask you, how did you live out what I asked you to live? Not because situations were perfect, not because everything was excellent. Look, at some point, you have to be the first one. I know things get rough. I know life comes in seasons. I know I'm minimizing some of this in this moment. And what I'm not talking about is abusive situations. I'm not talking, you, you know, we'll get in Matthew later, I think it's Matthew chapter 19, we'll talk about divorce and what Jesus says about divorce and that, that's there, Matthew chapter 19. We'll be there in like 2032, 2033. So we're getting there, right? We're getting there. <laughs> What I'm saying is right now in the day-to-day, -day, for the majority of us, so there's moments where we gotta humble ourselves and just go, I'm gonna give 100%, because that's, that's the calling that God has put there. You love your spouse, one of the best things you can do if you wanna pass generational blessing on, you love your spouse sacrificially and you love your family extravagantly. We don't have time to dig into what, to what Boaz does here, but in your time, how you're present with your family, how you speak to them, how you show love to them, how you treasure them. You love your family extravagantly. Ron and I went out to eat the other day. Uh, one of our favorite places, we just like food there. It's always been a, a fun place for us to go. And we, we walked in and you know, when you walk in, there's the little desk or whatever where you check in and they got a host or a hostess there. And so we walked in and there's a dude standing behind the, the desk and, and uh, we kind of walk up, and he never even made eye contact. He's just like, how many? <laughs> now, I'm not gonna lie. I, I try to practice the fruit of the Spirit, and I know this is the carnal side of your pastor, but I, it just bugs me when I have poor customer service. Anybody? And I wanted to say to this little tw uh, guy, I wanted to say to him, like, you have one job. 
Your job is to say, how many people can I make love this restaurant, right? Isn't that his job? That's it, you got one job. How many? No eye contact, nothing. It, it like took everything inside of me to just show him how many, right? I'm walking away, it just bugs me like that. And I'm like, that little guy's got one job. Now look, I don't, I'm not anybody special, but everybody that walks in there should be made to feel special, right? And I'm like, come on, buddy, you got one job. And then I thought about all the times in my life that as a dad, <laughs> I had one job. It was to love my family extravagantly. But how many times was I so honed in on what was in front of me or going on inside of me or wrestling with all these things that when I had an opportunity to invest my time or my words or my actions, I missed it because I was too set up with myself that I failed to see who God had put in front of me. And I was so focused on me that I missed out on the people who were the most important to me. You got one job, mom. You got one job, dad. And I'll be honest with you, these jobs come in seasons. I'll be back to that restaurant. I just hope he's not there when I go. You got one job, and when they're in front of you, you love them extravagantly. That's, that's what I think if I, was, if I was sitting there at that table, Boaz would say. He'd say, I think I, I learned that if you're gonna pass on a generational blessing, you love extravagantly. What do you think, Ruth? Ruth's kind of soft-spoken. And she'd look at Boaz, and she'd say, well, if I learned anything, it's this. Number three, you live your faith. Number three, you live your faith. We don't have time to go into Ruth's story. I hope you'll read it for yourself if you don't know it. But Ruth's lost everything. She lost her husband. Things are tough in her land, and, and she's with her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law says, I'm gonna go back to where I came from because we've lost everything. What else am I gonna do? And it would make sense for Ruth to stay there because that was her land. But she had taken on the faith of her mother-in-law and she wasn't just gonna talk about it. She wasn't gonna act like she believed. She was gonna live like she believed. So in Ruth chapter one, verse 16, we read this. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She said this, I'm not just gonna talk it, I'm gonna live it. And what I've seen observing families for years is that what makes the biggest difference in life is not just what you say you believe, not just what you talk about, but how you actually live it that will impact the lives of your kids. Don't just believe it, don't just talk it, actually live it. Because how you live is what they'll pick up. About a year or two into the, the time that Rhonda and I were on staff at a church in Milwaukee, we were kids pastors there. I remember one day being really bothered because there was this little girl, probably fourth grade. She was never like a discipline issue. Like you never had to call her out or you never had to say quit talking or anything like that. It was just every time I interacted with her, she was demeaning to me. Like, like she, she spoke with disrespect to me. The kids pastor, I was the kids pastor. This little nine-year-old is speaking to me with disrespect, literally like giving me these eye rolls and all this stuff. And I was like, what's wrong with this kid? Like, what, what have I done that this is the way she treats me? And then one day I had a conversation with her mom. And I went, oh. I knew her mom didn't like me. And because she didn't like me, the little girl didn't like me. The little girl treated me the same way her mom did. And here's what I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure on the way to church she didn't say, okay, honey, let's practice how we're gonna show dislike to Pastor Chad. No, 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 she just... She just picked it up. And the things that the mom expressed, she didn't have to expressly teach. This little girl, it wasn't taught, it, it, was, it was caught. Last week I read you a little portion from a book called Lead Like a Shepherd by Larry Osborne. And uh, he was talking about how, how we, we pass things on from generations. And he, he writes in this book about how he was a youth pastor for years and he had a pretty, pretty successful youth ministry in a couple of different churches. And then later he looked back on that time in ministry because he was trying to figure out like, like what worked, what impacted the lives of the students. And he says this, the majority of the kids who had been in my youth groups had grown up to become, watch this, far more like their parents than the students they were in high school or college. They adopted the values and standards and priorities of their parents 
Folks, get this. Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, don't miss this. What you are is what you'll get. Now look, I'm so thankful that Calvary is a church that puts a priority on kids ministry, student ministry, family ministry. We wanna partner with you. We wanna stand together to see this generation know and love and live for Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, the value standards and priorities that your kids will pick up are the ones they see at home, far more than the ones they pick up in kids church or CSM. And that's huge to remember. I think it, it mattered because when Ruth's kids, when, when, when Obed watched his mom and dad, what he saw was that they lived out. They didn't just talk about it. They lived out their faith. So Ruth would take a swig of that heavenly lemonade. This isn't in the Bible, right? Did I tell you that? Like, I'm just kind of picturing this in my head. But Ruth would say, if I had any advice for you, you'd live your faith. And then he'd kind of get real quiet for a moment. And then down here at the other end of the table, I'll go. And he has a little sheepish grin on his face. And Jesse says, I'll go. And uh, I, I kind of learned mine the hard way. He says, if I, if I had a parenting tip of how you can pass along generation, generational blessing from one generation to another, number four, he'd say, don't underestimate what God can do in the life of your kids. Don't underestimate what God can do in the life of your kids. Jesse uh, had, had eight sons, and Samuel was the prophet, and they needed a new king. So God spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, go to Bethlehem, go to the house of Jesse, and one of his boys is gonna be the next king. So Samuel rolls up and says to Jesse, Jesse, you got any sons? He says, do I have any sons? I got eight of them. You wanna see them? And so he starts parading them in front of the prophet. And the first one comes up. He is tall. He is strong. He is handsome. He is wise, much like your pastor. And he's standing there. And he's like, that's the dude. Take a look at that joker. That's the dude. And God says, Psst, Samuel, not him. I know he looks good on the outside. But God doesn't look on the outside. God looks at the heart. Next. Number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. And Samuel's like, no, none of these. There's eight, right? So Samuel says this, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Samuel asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. And Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We will not sit down to eat until he gets here. Samuel is a brilliant leader, is he not? Control them with food. We're not going, we're, no lunch till that last number eight shows up. Here's how the message translation says it. This is, this is funny. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. <laughs> but he's out tending the sheep. And Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. And the one God had chosen was the one his dad said, but he's not the one. And how many times as parents do we find ourselves in a place, how many times we just don't, forget, forget our kids and grandkids, we do it with people in general, and we just go, I don't know. David had lots of potential, and his parents couldn't see it. And, and then re remember the story that we hit a few months back when we, we talked about the prodigal son last fall? There you kind of got the opposite, where you've got somebody who doesn't have lots of potential. It seems like they've lost their potential. And we can underestimate what God wants to do in their lives, too. And so let me give you just a couple of thoughts that I think Jesse would highlight for us. One is this. Don't say but when God calls their name. God said, I think maybe David will be the king. Ah, but he's just out with the sheep. He's a little guy. But, but he doesn't have the experience, but, but he doesn't look like a king. But, 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 and, and Jesse was quick to say, but, because he underestimated the potential, what God could do in the life of somebody like David. And how important it is that we see that potential. It, it's that time of year, and um, forgive me for what I'm about to say, Rhonda, she, she wants to plant a garden. I'm not as excited about it as she is. Because when she looks at it, she sees a bountiful harvest. When I look at it, I see work. <laughs> and she says, 
we could have tomatoes and we could have zucchini. And I say, we could go to the grocery store. <laughs> like, I don't see the same thing. So I'll, I'll kind of play along a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll try to help. And usually she says, you've done enough. Isn't there something else you can, you can do? But there will come a day when I'll take a bite of some tomato and go, that's the best tomato I've ever had. Amen. And she'll say, told you. Because <laughs> she sees the, and when you see the potential in something, then you nurture it. You invest in it. You'll put the work. You'll put the time into it. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, God has put a garden in front of you. Something that he's called you to tend and to nurture and to invest in. I don't care how old those kids are. I don't care how many kids those kids have. I don't care how many kids those kids' kids have. If you bear that title of parent, then you have an opportunity to invest, to speak, to nurture that garden in a way that no one else does. So when God calls their name, don't say, but, and don't miss moments of preparation in their lives. So, so many times we, we try to step in and keep our kids from difficult seasons, or we fail to see what God's doing. Samuel says, you got any more kids? And Jesse goes, just one, but he's out with the sheep. I wish Jesse had been able to say, I got one, and he's the one you want to talk to because he's been out with the sheep. So he already knows what it means to care for a flock. And he has had to protect the things that he loves. And he knows what it's like to be a shepherd. So if anybody should be a king, isn't it David? Because the whole time that he's been out there shepherding, God has been preparing him to be a king. Your kids will go through hard seasons. They're gonna have difficult moments. And there are gonna be things in their lives, parents, that we at moments will only be able to stand by and pray for them and love them. And don't you miss the fact that in those times, God may be preparing them for something of great value in their lives. You have the opportunity to invest in them. Don't you underestimate what God's doing in their lives. And don't you let anyone else take the role of parent in their lives. Too many times we wanna have the role of friend and when we take on the role of friend, we abdicate the role of parent. Can I tell you what I've seen? When you choose to embrace the role of parent, that's when God gives you the opportunity to truly be a friend. And you speak into the lives of your kids. And you make those difficult choices. And you hear the words of Jesse down here at the end of that heavenly picnic table. And he says, if I learn anything, it's this. Don't you underestimate what God might be doing in the life of your kids. And then he'd look down to the other end of the table and he'd go, isn't that right, Davy? <laughs> they don't call him King David there. This is dad and grandma and grandpa. They call him Davy. Davy chuckles. He wears a t-shirt in heaven that says, I used to be a king. I kind of look over at King David, see if he's got anything to add. And that grin on his face kind of turns into a different look as he kind of stares off into the horizon. It's like he sees something no one else can see. And he says, yeah, I got a pointer. Number five, you store up blessing. Number five, you, you store up blessing. I want to take you on a little journey if you'll go with me for a couple minutes. Is that okay? There's a, there's a psalmist named Ethan in Psalm 89. This is years and years after David has died. And Israel is in a really crisis moment. And in a crisis moment in Psalm 89, this psalmist writes this, Psalm 89 verse one. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. And with my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Now get this, years after David has died, there is someone when they are facing a crisis that they say, in the midst of this crisis, we are gonna pull back on the faith of our ancestor David. Because the faithfulness that God gave to him and his faithfulness then impacts our lives today. 
Now in scripture, that's what's referred to as the Davidic covenant, that God promised David that it was through his family, through his generations, that the Messiah would come. Now look, I know that you're not David, and God probably hasn't made a historic covenant with you, and I know a lot of your kids, and they ain't the Messiah. Can I get an amen? But there's a principle here that your relationship with God today can be so special that in generations in the future, God just can't help but bless them. That you can have a relationship today that will store up blessing for generations to come. Let me show you what I mean. David dies 11 years later in 1 Kings, uh, excuse me, 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 41. 11 years after David dies, his son Solomon says, now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love you promised to David, your servant. 11 years after he died, they are still leaning on the faith of David, on God's faithfulness to David. And don't think that how you live out your faith won't affect future generations. I don't mean this to sound pompous in any way, so please forgive me if it comes across this way. But I have, for most of my life, had this like unique love for God's word. My favorite part about the job that I have is when I get to do the thing that I would do even if it wasn't my job, then spend time in God's word. And I thought, God, what, what is that? Why do I have that in me? Is that just my DNA? Is that just because I'm a nerd? Like, what is that? When I was a little kid and my mom and dad would go to work, we lived right next door to my grandparents. And so I would go over and my grandma would, would watch me all day while my folks were at work. And I can remember that just about every day when I was a little kid, there would, there would come a moment where grandma would say, hey, Chad, you need to play quiet for a little while. And then she would go, and oftentimes I'd go and kind of play and sit beside her, and she would go and she would sit in front of the radio, and she would actually open this Bible right here. This is the one. And Agnes Gilligan would take a pen in her hand, and she would turn on the radio, and she would listen to the Bible teaching of J. Vernon McGee. Does anybody remember J. Vernon McGee? Great Bible teacher, creepy voice. Great Bible teacher. Turn with me in your Bible, right? And for about 30 minutes every day, my grandma would sit there and she would listen to this teaching and she would mark it up in her Bible. And by spiritual osmosis, I, I caught a love for God's word that I wouldn't catch in any other way. And she was storing up blessing, whether she realized it or not, for future generations. Then there's this story where, where David has been dead for 23 years. Watch this one, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, anybody ever had your parents say that? This isn't good, this is bad. And you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. This is bad. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I'll not do it during your lifetime. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I'll not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I've chosen. Even in the midst of judgment, God is extending mercy to a generation 23 years after David's death. Because David had such a special relationship with God that God couldn't help but bless generations through him. Look at this next one. First Kings chapter 15, verse three. This is another king who committed all the sins his father had done before him and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong, for David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. We keep coming back to that one, don't we? 
He says, David wasn't perfect, but he had such a special relationship with God that God couldn't help but bless future generations because of the love between God and David. I had an aunt and uncle that were pastors in Kansas for 25 years, and then they left to be missionaries in the Netherlands for 25 years. And then when they retired, they came back home to Ohio where family was. And as a kid, I loved, I loved, loved, loved being able to just be around them. There was something special about them. They had in their living room a coffee table, and on the bottom part of it, they had photographs of their family and their grandkids, and then of their, their, their nieces and nephews, the, the family going on. I was the youngest, so I was down at the end. What's the Bible say? That you save the best for, well, you know what I mean. So, so I was down at the end. And every morning they'd get their coffee and then they'd sit on the couch and by name, they would pray for every single one of us. Ask God to bless us and ask God's work to be done in our lives. There's been a lot of times in my life, in the life of our family, where I've just said, God, why? Why have you blessed us in the way that you have? Why have you allowed us to know blessing that I know that we did not deserve? Answers that I see come in my life that I know I didn't pray for. And I can't help but think that some of that comes because every day David and Claire Ann Richards prayed for me. That my grandma every day, she prayed for me. That Ron and I have had parents who prayed for us and that there was blessing that came into our lives that we did not deserve, but generations before us stored up because they loved Jesus so much that he couldn't help but bless us and keep his promises. Can I give you one more? We're out of time. Can I give you one more? Second, oh, no, don't say that. Second Kings chapter 19, look at this one. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. This is a bad dude, and he wants to destroy Israel. God says, he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He'll not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. This, my friends, is 305 years after David is dead. And David had such a special relationship with God that centuries later, God is saying, I can't help but bless them. You have such a special relationship with God so that generations to come can't help but be blessed. Can I tell you? I don't wanna tell you. I'm not perfect. I got all kinds of issues just like you. And some of you go, Chad, that's, that's not my story. I don't, I don't have a story like that of blessing coming from generation to generation. And look, some of you do. Some of you know what it's like to talk about this. And I'll just be real honest. I know that when I was born, I stepped into a blessing elevator that was already going up. Because somewhere, somebody said, we're changing the story. God, we're gonna put our trust in you. And instead of sitting there and saying to yourself, Chad, my story's not your story, I would say, then change your story. Don't just say, but, but, but. Say, God, with me, it starts. I'm gonna store up a blessing so that generations to come will praise God because of what he does in my life because of the way that you love Jesus today. And that, I think, is when... David would just kind of look off into the horizon. And he'd turn to the table and he'd, he'd see generation after generation after generation that led to the blessing in his life. And he'd say, you store up blessing for generations to come. And then it'd be time for dessert. And as I stood up from the table, I'd look at him and I'd go, Anything else? And they'd say, yeah. They'd all look at each other and kind of agree. And they'd say, number six, you love Jesus. Because he's the point of the whole story. Like the way all of their lives ended and the way all of their lives were wired and the whole reason behind it all was to get us to Jesus.
And if you'll make that the most important thing in your life, then everything else will kind of start to just fall into place. You love Jesus first and foremost. You say, Chad, how do I pass along blessing from one generation to another? The best thing you can do to bless your family is to love Jesus with all your heart. So can I ask you to stand with me today and the worship team is gonna come and we've gone a little long, so thank you for your patience and we're gonna sing with a song of blessing. It's straight out of Numbers chapter six and it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. These are the words that God gave and here's what I want to challenge you to do in these last few moments as we sing these words from scripture, who are you asking God to bless in your life? Some of you need to take the hand of your spouse and say, it's time to change the story. Some of you need to put your arm around somebody and go, Lord, would you bless us? You may be here with your family. You may wanna get in a little bit of a huddle and just say, God, would you bless us? Some of you, you have family members in mind who maybe are more miles away. Some of you are watching this on a screen somewhere and there's people that are heavy in your heart and more than just sing this song, would you make it a prayer? And with your love for Jesus, would you say, Lord, would you bless us? Father, we come to you. And Lord, we don't look to you because you are the blesser. God, we look to you because we love you. And because we know the most important thing that we can do for our family is to show them to love Jesus. And that by loving you, Lord, there is a blessing that comes into our lives. Father, in this moment, would you bless marriages that won't make it any other way? And God, would you bless children who have lots of potential or seem to have lost their potential? God, would you speak to our hearts about living life in such a way that we're storing up blessing for generations to come? Father, our prayer today is that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Let's sing this prayer together. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace and amen 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 Oh, 
That's our prayer. First and foremost, Jesus, we love you. Because you're the one who changes our story. Who so sacrificially, extravagantly showed us love. Who gives us a faith worth living. And can bless future generations. Lord, may we live our lives in such a way so that future generations in part are in heaven because of us and not in spite of us. Lord, that you would bless homes. Father, there's, there's marriages represented in this service who won't make it unless mom and dad say, God, this is yours. And there's children whose lives will look real different unless right now we just say, God, they're yours. And Father, there's influence and stories, and testimonies that'll come. Because today there are people who will say, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And so Father, I pray your blessing over the homes here today that you would do something wonderful and powerful, that we would, in the good times and in the tough ones, know that you are with us and you are for us. Lord, as we go from here, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.